I'm excited to introduce to you my first guest for the podcast, my good friend Mariah. Mariah Meyer Lefebvre is a PhD candidate, a dance movement therapist, a licensed professional counselor, and a counselor educator. A native Midwesterner, she graduated with a degree in dance and psychology, and then went on to earn her master's degree in dance movement therapy and counseling. She's currently a PhD candidate in leadership with a specialty in counselor education and supervision at the University of the Cumberlands. Mariah has worked extensively in the field of dance movement therapy, serving groups and individuals, presenting internationally, and supervising dance movement therapists. Mariah currently teaches in the Masters of Arts in Counseling program at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. I asked Mariah to join me in discussing how the pandemic has impacted higher education, most specifically how she as an educator is preparing counselors and training to join the field at this difficult time in our world. Well, thank you for joining me today as my first guest. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've really been interested in this topic, the idea of how are new and emerging therapists handling life in the pandemic? I can't imagine starting my career right now while things are so chaotic. I can't. There. The idea that some of the students that I work with are graduating having primarily only worked via telehealth. Right. It is mind-boggling to me as someone who telehealth did not even exist when I went through my right. counseling program. That's right. Would they even practice with other students live? I think it depends on the program. I think some programs, classes are also fully online. The program that I teach in, yes, they have been in person with peers. So they have had that body-to-body experience in the classroom and with peers, but a lot of them, their internships have been fully virtual. I had not even thought of that. So they have not sat in the same room with a client. Yeah. So how do you teach about sitting with a client over Zoom? Well, how do you? What have you had to adjust in your teaching? Yeah, that's an interesting question. The program that I teach full-time in pre-COVID, sometimes in my house we joke and we call it old world, which was <laughs> a funnier joke you know, than it is now. I feel like <laughs> it was years later, but it was a fully on-ground program. So everything we were doing was classes in person and Then simultaneously, I've been working on this doctorate in counselor education and supervision in a fully online program. Mm -hmm. So I was having this experience personally of understanding online pedagogy and being online and even TAing through that experience. And yet all my, my work lived experience was on ground. So when we had to pivot so fast, we had three days and our classes were online and I felt a real thankfulness and advantage over a lot of my other colleagues at the university because I was like, oh, great, I I got this. You know, I can figure out how to translate and can we do this in breakout rooms? And certainly it was difficult, but I felt like I had a framework for it. Yes. Um, For a lot of people, I don't know that was the case. It's really been like a messy hybrid, a messy flexibility. Yeah. (laughs) It's maybe how I would describe it. Absolutely. it, it feels like messy flexibility because like we've had to be flexible and yet it can be exhausting to, to be like, okay, who's online today? Who's in person? How am I accommodating both yeah. of the styles in class? And so it's been a lot of just that. And then I think what something that's interesting is that I think before the pandemic, I would have been like, nope, I'm not teaching in an online program because I really 
Oh, my background's right. dance therapy. I want to be in the room with people. I want our bodies to be together, moving together. So for me, it's challenged me to think outside the box a little bit. Because in counseling, the whole foundation of it is being across from the person and that whole body language and interaction of being in the room together, teaching somebody how to do that and to use those same skills through a screen. It's just a very different endeavor. It's a very different endeavor. I think my students know that because my background is dance therapy, sometimes I laugh because I think about my training. We uh, often had class in a dance studio with big, large pillows, and we sat on the floor. There were no tables. Like It was a very different kind of experience. And now that I'm in this more traditional counseling program, they're used to me saying, I can tell you're tired. Everybody stand up. We're moving around for a little bit before we do the next thing. I think for a while at the beginning of COVID that I sort of shut that down a little bit because I just was like, how do I make this transition? And then once I figured out, oh, this is, we're in this for a while, I started to be like, well, I got to do it online. And I'd be like, all right, stand up wherever you're at, push your chair away. We're going to move for a minute before we come back to the screens. It, It has been like, actually, we can do this and we just have to figure out a new path. It's you lose one of your senses. You have to like have your other senses develop more fully in order to really have that experience. And we've kind of as therapists and teachers and supervisors have lost one of our senses, which is being in the same room together. And so now we've had to figure out how do you adjust to that so you can still sense what's going on? Yeah, the sensing. And I think uh, a theme that I think has come up a lot with people I've spoken to is the the missing of the reciprocal energy, I'm going to call it, because there is this sense of two bodies being in the same space where you just physically, it's like that brain to brain, body to body connection that is just different when you're in literally different physical mm-hmm. spaces and when you're not together and sensing that with all the five senses. So I do miss that. I teach an undergrad psychology class and I forgot the energy of all being there and that learning. And then we were, and I was like, oh, oh just it feels drink like it in. <laughs> yeah. To just like yeah. be together. And in COVID, I had transitioned some of their assignments to discussion board assignments. And so then last fall, I said, well, here's the deal. If discussion board works for you, that's great. And if you're a verbal mm-hmm. processor, we're going to meet once a week and have a coffee discussion group. And you can choose what nice. works for you. And I was amazed that over half the class every week came to the discussion group because I think that they were just craving that. They were craving that feeding off of each other and that that being together. You know, do you have symptoms? Wear your mask. Yeah, it's not like without effort, but the effort felt so worth it. That makes me think about this. this, Now we've been two years, so you've had entire cohorts Mm -hmm. now who have just been online. Do you notice anything different about the motivation of people coming into the field or the, um, I don't know, what they're looking forward to, what they're grappling with? Anything different about these cohorts? That's a really good question. I mean, I will say that our cohort that started during the pandemic was just smaller than normally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of just everybody's dealing with all these transitions. I think that was reflected around the nation in higher education. 
that was part of what happened. And now this season, we have a larger cohort. And I think also people are transitioning to online. People are just learning differently. Yeah. In the particular program that I teach in, it already attracts a lot of second career students. We have night classes once a week. It's made to be a format that's accessible. So it's very common for me to have a lot of my students who have a lot more life experience than I do. They're older than me and they're coming to this as a second career. Right. And so actually for that hasn't shifted a lot Mm. for my particular program because we already had this sort of niche of attracting people who were coming in just at all different life stages because of the access of the online classes that there's people pursuing it who maybe couldn't have before, which I do see as a real perk. The online accessibility is like, I I couldn't move or make an in-person cohort that I can do this. That's, that is a good thing that's come out of this. Yeah. So the thing I keep thinking about is how do you prepare these students for being counselors in a pandemic? Because right now we are seeing burnout from counselors along with all the other helping professions. We want them to have longevity. (laughs) We don't want them to, to get out there and burn out within a couple of years. So how has that part of your teaching changed? How are you trying to prepare people for the mental health struggle of being a mental health caregiver? For me, the question is not just how do we teach students to do this? It's like, how do we learn to do this ourselves? I think it's such a layered question because we haven't been able to say, well, first I'll learn how to do it. We just all have to jump into the deep end, right? And be like, how the heck do we hold this? How do we hold that we're going through the same things as our client and not let our countertransference just totally take over because we're like, yeah, we're living in a pandemic too. For me, honestly, a lot of it has been really honest modeling. And I think that to my supervisees and I think that to students, but in in the therapeutic relationship, we can't air our own stuff and our own struggles. And so really making the supervision space and the class space, a space to really get into talking about what does it feel like to be living the same reality as your clients. And the self-care piece becomes really tangible. Mm-hmm. Like I think it has to become tangible because otherwise the burnout is so real. So some of that is like me adjusting my pedagogy. Like literally, how do we do self-care in the class? How do we start with five minutes of grounding or meditation right. or little movement, which is something that with my theoretical orientation, I would have done anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think that it really became clear, like we need to like yeah. sit in this space together, name where we're at today, and then we can right. go into learning new content. Right. It's not a luxury anymore. It's no. essential. <laughs> Right. It's like if you want to do this work, you have to figure out what it looks like for you to care for yourself. Yeah. So I think that this generation of counselors is going to understand self-care sooner and deeper. Because oh, I hope so. I hope so, too, because they it's just a necessity because right. of the, the climate right now. Yeah. But a lot of times when people hear self-care, they think, Take a bubble bath, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> something like that. When you think self-care, like in the deeper sense of self-care, what do you think for you? And we can, obviously this is going to be different for different people, but what's that real grounding piece? Yeah. What keeps you going? Yeah, I think 
just uh, this just came to mind as you were asking the question but i think just for myself it's like what feeds your soul because it i like to joke about like hashtag self-care and that's oh. got myself a fancy coffee nice love it took a boat yeah. whatever it is but like those things are great and i'm not dissing any of that mm-hmm. yet it has become such a like cultural thing to talk about that and for me it's what feeds my soul and makes me feel more whole as a person. And again, this is like my own tendency, but what makes me feel connected to my body, to my internal experience, Mm -hmm. connected to my own emotions, my own inner experience. And self-care for me is carving out the space. Say this is where I connect to me, or maybe I connect to myself by connecting to others and that like real deep soul work and connection. Yeah, absolutely. And that connection piece to others feels more essential now. Yeah. So what is your hope for this next generation of therapists? You you mentioned that they'll find self-care maybe sooner than the rest of us did. I have anxiety for them if I think about it too much, just because, or, or concern, I should say, for them, because they're coming into the field during a really hard time. What is your hope for where they're going to land? Yeah, that's really hard. Just so much comes to mind. And and I think that they would be able to sort of figure out, and none of us arrive. We never arrive at understanding self-care and avoiding burnout and all these things, but that they would feel really comfortable in the journey of like Mm. always asking, how can I care for myself in order to care for others? And that would be just a way for them to engage. I think that a hope and also a necessity is that they'll have a different kind of flexibility than other generations of counselors. I Mm. think that there hasn't been choice in that. And yet maybe that can be reframed as a kind of gift that that they will have that just inherent ability because they've had to say, well, turns out when you have symptoms, we can meet on telehealth. Like just, there's a lot of beauty and flexibility in that. And I think hope that I always have for my counselors, pandemic or not, is just that they feel real comfortable in the messy gray area. Mm. Because I think we, we, I, I'll say personally, I think a lot about the danger of binary thinking, like black and white thinking in a CBT orientation or anything, but just like things are one way or things are the other. And so much in our culture, mm-hmm. in the world right now is challenging us about the danger of this kind of binary thinking that, you know, that, that there's this way or there's that way. And there's not this complex middle I have a colleague who's very dear to me who always says, well, the answer to most ethical questions is it's complex and it depends. Right. And I think, yeah, the answer to most questions. Yeah. And, and I hope that some resilience and ability to be in that gray area is born out of this very, whoa, time, you know, yeah. that had to learn and learn how to be counselors. And so really comfort with the discomfort of that not knowing. And so being able to help this next generation find comfort in that. Yeah. Oh, man, right. That's a, yeah, that's a gift. Yeah. And yeah. a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I just want somebody to be like, I know when the pandemic will end. Give me a timeline, <laughs> give me an answer or whatever. And we have to learn how to live and find care for ourselves in that unknowing. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably good for our field 
anyway, right? Because just because mental health is fairly ambiguous in a lot of ways. And so just to develop more flexibility of thinking and resiliency around trying new things and being able to stand back up. And you're right, that is a great thing to wish for the next generation of therapists is to be able to bounce back, to be able to come back when things have been hard. And time will tell, right? We don't really know yet. Oh, it's going to be so interesting to see in in all areas of how this has affected our children. We're seeing churches are having big impacts through the pandemic. and But how is this going to impact counseling as we move forward? So in general, in as you look at the counseling field, what mm-hmm. do you think about things that, that this field needs to learn to adjust to or learn to look at with a new lens? Where do we need some big adjustments in our view? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that has adjusted that I'm curious to see about how it sustains is people are talking about mental health more than they did before the pandemic. They're talking about the importance of mental health, about the importance of mental health workers. And so I think that there's a lot of greatness about the fact that that through our pain, through our suffering, so that's not great, but through this collective pain that we've encountered, we are talking more about taking care of ourselves and taking Mm -hmm. care of those in our midst. And, And I think that is... That that's something that has come out of it that I hope sticks. I think that's like my hope and my fear all in the, at the same time. Like mm. we've noticed, we've seen like this matters. And then like, how does it pan out? Does insurance start to value mental health and, mm-hmm. and pay people what they're worth to do work? Or do we start to support employees to, to get their mental health care needs taken care you know, givers to support their own mental health. So I think there's an opportunity there because we've really seen it highlighted what the need is. And now we have to see what happens with that opportunity. If it changes the face of how we look at this for for the long term, or if we go back to how we thought about it in old world, Hmm. or just how it shifts. Yeah. The next generation of people, the teenagers and young adults of our culture, we're already, I think, Yes. just more open right. to talking about mental health. So hopefully that is a trend that will that right. we're learning from them and will continue to move forward. Now we are our field is understaffed, right? There's just there's not enough mental health workers out there. I don't know if you're a part of this conversation or process at all being in, in your program, but how do we recruit more quality mental health practitioners into our field that it's complex and it depends <laughs> good answer I think, I think one thing that's coming to my mind is that one really difficult thing is that it's really important that counseling programs are very comprehensive mm. because it's like what an honor and what a charge to be guiding another individual's experience of how they see the world mm. through through mental health practice And so I think it's so necessary. Like we often talk about in the program I teach in, yeah, but we need that 
we need that class to be three credits too. And we need that class to be more credits. And there's just not enough. So see how much there is to learn and to know about the human experience. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, it's so important to have that in-depth, rich training. And on the other hand, like that's really hard. It's really expensive to have mm-hmm. that in-depth of a training. It's really, it's really expensive. It's really tight. You have to do these clinical internships, which thank goodness we have to do clinical internships. But what if you have to support a family or what if you, there's a certain amount of access in that and being able to get this education. Those are like two very different things to hold. Like we need to have this comprehensive training and yet who's able to get this kind of training so that they can do this work. And then there's a whole conversation of, yeah. And then representation, right? Because if we don't see people like us represented in the field, then what makes us think that it's something that is for us? Those are what I think the issues are. And I don't think I have any answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that some sometimes online learning is becoming an answer to that because it's more huh. accessible and maybe more affordable. And I think that I would love to see in the same ways that like schools are able to give people like full full scholarships to get yes. to go to school. That's just not as common in the counseling world. That right. people are able to be funded to to do the learning and do the schooling they need to do the work. I should have looked this up before I mentioned this, but there was some legislation going through in Oregon where they were trying to have funding for yeah. supervision for childcare so somebody can go to classes. And just this kind of holistic view, because it's not, like you said, it's not just can I afford the classes? It's can yeah. I afford to take time off from work to do this? Can I get childcare to do this? Yeah, who's going to take care of my kids when I go to night class? Who, exactly. you know, so much that's involved in that. So I guess there's so many barriers. Anything that we can do to help increase access, mm-hmm. I think because we do, we, we need more mental health clinicians. So how do we make that possible? Do you guys talk about advocacy at the master's level? as far as helping legislation get looked at? Well, I get to teach the advocacy class in our oh, program, perfect. which is actually not the KCREP requirement to learn about advocacy, but you don't have to have a specific advocacy class. But okay. I loved like developing it and teaching it. And actually one thing that I do with my class is I bring in someone who works for a local nonprofit who does full-time advocacy work at our state uh, legislator in Salem. And we talk about, so we talk about what does it mean to advocate for public policy? And he talks about how can you write letters? How can you be involved in this? And we also talk about an advocacy. Now I'm starting to like geek out, but like the levels of advocacy, right? <laughs> sometimes we're advocating right. or personally, sometimes we're advocating mm-hmm. the community or the system. Sometimes we're advocating at a more policy level. And right. most of the time, because we're human, we can't do all of those things simultaneously. Yeah. But can we use this advocacy lens to to frame out what we're doing. So important, such important work. Yeah. Well, Mariah, I really appreciate your time. And I love this conversation. I I do think about this next generation coming up Mm -hmm. a lot and just have a lot of concern and hope for Mm -hmm. them. I just want them to, to just find joy and success and peace as they enter this field. And so I think about you and others who are charged now with with helping train them and teach them and what a joy and a burden that is right now, especially. So thank you for the work you do. And thank you for joining with me today. It was a great Thanks for doing this podcast. I think it's a great (laughs) idea. And I have to ask, 
Are your notes finished yet? Visit finishnotes.com for this episode's show notes and subscribe to the podcast in your favorite player. 